When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike, and we are superhero heavy today. I'm going to give you the order how I watched all 31 Marvel movies by character order. I'll explain exactly what that means in the movie review. I'll keep it spoiler free when talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And in the trailer park, we'll talk about all the cameos in the Flash trailer. So thank you for being here. If you're listening on a Monday, shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew. And now my favorite thing to do every week. Let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast. One man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. There are now 31 Marvel movies out, and there are different ways that you can experience and watch all these movies. This is actually a question I get a lot for people diving into Marvel for the first time. You want to know what is the best way to watch them. I often recommend that you watch them in chronological order. And that means just in the order they came out, starting with Iron Man in 2008 and then going through every single year, just the way they came out in theaters. I always felt that was the most enjoyable. It made the most sense. There's also the chronological way that I tried out and I wasn't really the biggest fan of. I don't really have to have everything happen in the order that it did on the timeline. For me personally, I don't think that enhanced the viewing experience. It just felt a little bit janky. But I had this new idea occur to me when I wanted to start rewatching all of the Avengers movies. And I started to think about the MCU a little bit differently in the way we watch them. We consume them in the order they come out in and they all kind of interconnect. But it's unlike how you normally watch any other kind of movie. If you were going to watch a trilogy, you would watch part one, part two, and part three 
and that would give you the overall scope on the story, the entire significance of that character on how their story progresses, how each movie embodies the character, and you form a relationship with that character over those movies, and that's how you watch them, one, two, three. But I had never heard of anybody watching the Marvel movies like that, so I decided to do it for myself. And here is the order that I watched them in, and I'll give you my experience doing it this way. I really liked it. I think it actually works really well. And I think the concern with that is some things won't make sense. You haven't seen some things later. But I feel like for the most part, after taking this on, you can fill in the gaps with your mind. And the ones that do it the best, they keep that storyline continued through parts one, two, three, and sometimes four. That as long as you watch all these movies together, they actually make sense. So that is really what I wanted to learn in this experiment. Do they work in this sequential order? So this is the order I watch them in by character or franchise, however you want to put it. I started with the Avengers movie. So from 2012, I did Avengers 1 first. Age of Ultron from 2015, Avengers Infinity War from 2018, and then Endgame in 2019. Why I decided to do it this way is because I felt like this is the big overarching story that we follow along to. It's what all the other movies built up to. And I think one of the most important things is that a lot of the other MCU movies reference New York. It's a constant thing throughout the entire MCU, especially early on in the first three phases. Everything kind of goes back to New York. So I think you need to experience that right off the bat. Avengers works without seeing any Iron Man, Captain America, or Thor, which came out before this. And then as a whole, the Avengers movies just carry that thread that keeps the entire MCU together. So I just feel like these are the best ones to start with. They are the best of the best of all these movies, so it actually really works to start with these movies first. It also kicks you off on a really big high note and makes you excited to learn all about all these other individual characters and dive into their individual movies. You might not know every single reference, but it would be no different than when you watch a TV show, they introduce characters, and then later on in the season, you learn the backstory on that character through flashbacks. So I say start with Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Infinity War, and then Endgame. I think all these Avengers movies still really hold up. Rewatching this, I reminded myself how Age of Ultron got a lot of bad reviews when it first came out in 2015. And I almost appreciate that movie a lot more now than I did then. It has a really great opening sequence that I felt showcased what the MCU was becoming, how they were really becoming this juggernaut in 2015 with all these movies. So it is the weakest of the four in that group, but a really strong MCU movie. After that, move on to the three Iron Man movies. So Iron Man from 2008, Iron Man from 2010, and then Iron Man 3 from 2013. Iron Man is a classic. I almost forgot how much that first movie in particular was associated with war really is a reoccurring theme throughout the entire Iron Man movies, given that Tony Stark started out building weapons for the military and him being taken hostage in that movie. I felt like Iron Man was very much a reflection of America in the 2000s. So it almost set like a darker, more warlike tone early on that I didn't really pick up on when these movies first came out because I was just like, this is a superhero movie. This is amazing. But looking back on that, I felt like that's a very bold thing to make a movie about, especially when it comes to superheroes. Iron Man 2, I felt was a little bit forgettable. I had to be reminded as I watched that movie, like, oh yeah, Mickey Rourke is in this movie. 
So in my head, I always thought that Iron Man 2 was better than Iron Man 3, but I do have a newfound respect for Iron Man 3, much like I did Age of Ultron. Iron Man 3 is a really great character study on Tony Stark as he is dealing with this anxiety and this PTSD after the events that unfolded in Avengers in New York. So now I also feel like that one, that's a pretty bold thing to make an Iron Man movie about. I know that overall the movie didn't really resonate with audiences as much as Iron Man 1 and 2, but I would now put that in my number two slot when it comes to Iron Man movies. I only wish that at some point we would have got an Iron Man 4 because I didn't really feel like that one completely closed out Tony Stark's story. So overall, Iron Man 1, 2, and 3, very strong when it comes to the progression of his character. But I think to really nail it and bring this entire thing home for me, we needed an Iron Man 4. Give Robert Downey Jr. those millions of dollars that he wants to return in the Avengers movies. And I will do a full recap of this list at the very end. And I'll also put this in the podcast notes so you don't have to write this down as I'm doing this episode. I just wanted to go through all these and share these with you. So after Iron Man, I moved on to the Captain America movies. And the way I did this, I started just watching and throwing on these movies at night when I was going to sleep. So it did take me a while. This was probably at least a three, four months endeavor because I was just watching them as a part of my nighttime routine and in the mix of all the other things I watch for this podcast. So then I moved on to the Captain America movie. So the first Avenger in 2011, the Winter Soldier in 2014 and then Civil War in 2016. So we have three Captain America movies. And I always viewed Captain America as, like if you told me he was your favorite Avenger, I would think a little bit less of you. I always thought he was kind of a boring character to do solo movies on. I was never the biggest fan of them. And revisiting the movies this way, I still felt like the first Avenger had a bit of a slow start, but I started to realize a little bit more why everybody had a really great view on Chris Evans as Captain America. And it's a pretty good origin story. It's the start of him saying, I could do this all day. It's also a great history lesson on how Marvel Comics had a lot to do, again, with war. This one focusing on World War II. The first cover of a Captain America comic book was him punching Hitler in the face. And I felt like that is also what this movie was associated with a lot, being so focused in World War II. Again, looking at Marvel movies having so much emphasis on war. Even looking back at that first Captain America that came out in 1941. I wish I could find me a copy of Captain America's comic number one. It also made me see the progression of Steve Rogers' uniform as Captain America between all the movies, going from having that classic Captain America look from the comic books back in the 40s, and then moving on to his look in Winter Soldier, which I realized there was something weird going on with Chris Evans' hair in this movie. But I love the development between him and Falcon's relationship in this movie, the birth of On Your Left. So I definitely think that Winter Soldier was a lot better than I remember it being and it having one of the best Marvel endings out of the entire MCU. And then when you get to Captain America Civil War, this is the one that feels a little bit out of place to me. I know it's still focused on Steve Rogers and him wanting to do the good thing. That is what he's all about is doing the moral good thing. He goes against Tony Stark, and that's why they are fighting in this movie. So it is a reflection on his character in that aspect, but I don't really feel like it matches along with his entire character arc from the first Avenger to the Winter Soldier. It just feels like it's a compilation of all the other superheroes as well, and Captain America is just there leading one side. 
So to me, it just feels like what the poster looks like, half Iron Man movie, half Captain America movie. But overall, still a really great trilogy. After that, I moved on to the Thor movies, mainly because there are four of them. So Thor from 2011, Thor The Dark World in 2013, Thor Ragnarok in 2017, and Thor Love and Thunder 2022. How I feel about watching them this way, about the character of Thor is they never really got him right. He has been kind of different in all of these movies. Chris Evans really kind of came into the Thor character through the Avengers movies, and I think he had the best embodiment of what Thor is in Thor Ragnarok. I think the first Thor was a great introduction of the character, but it didn't really make me love him yet. And then in The Dark World, which was a little bit convoluted, and pretty forgettable in the timeline of Thor movies. That one really took his character down a little bit, but then you had such a big moment with him in Ragnarok and it being fun. You have the Incredible Hulk there. The movie visually was a lot more stunning and had this real recognizable look to it, and it tried to carry over into Thor Love and Thunder, which I feel like that movie hasn't really aged the best, and it only came out last year. I just feel like as a whole, the Thor character just hasn't really been one thing, and maybe that's okay, but when it comes to studying the Thor movies like this, I feel like it gets kind of a low score as far as being a good part one to four part series. If only the Thor movies existed, I'm not sure that I would love them. I love Thor in the Avengers movies and showing up in Guardians of the Galaxy, but when it comes to just his solo movies, for as big of a character he is in all the other movies, they're just not the strongest. And you can see that watching them this way. So after that, I moved on to the Spider-Man movies, also because you have a trilogy to watch here, Spider-Man Homecoming from 2017, Far From Home from 2019, and No Way Home in 2021. And my main goal in watching the Spider-Man movies this way is I wanted to see how this trilogy compared to the Tobey Maguire trilogy, which I feel is the perfect character arc for Spider-Man. His origin story, going from that to him struggling between life as Spider-Man and life as Peter Parker, wanting to be with Mary Jane and just be a normal person who can be in love, and then realizing that he can't have that. And even though the third one has a lot of questionable moments, it's still a really good ending and ties up the entire story of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. I wanted to see how that would transfer over into watching the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. And it's a lot different. I learned that by watching the movies this way because you have all the other things going on at the same time. But I still think Tom Holland Spider-Man does establish his character and similar to how it did Tobey Maguire. The key difference being that Homecoming completely takes away the entire origin story, which was important that they did that because you already had the Tobey Maguire version origin story. You had the Andrew Garfield origin story. You didn't need to do that again. We've already seen it. We get it. He gets bit by a spider. He becomes Spider-Man. Take that out of the movie and get right into it. So I love that they started it this way. And you can see the development of his character being really fresh and new in Homecoming, which took place in the timeline after Captain America Civil War. 
it's him. Am I an Avenger? Am I not? Am I just going to be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? So it's him getting his first chance to prove that he can be Spider-Man, proving to Tony Stark that he's not just some kid who kind of got lucky with falling into these powers. And then you have Far From Home where he starts to have that battle as well of wanting to be Peter Parker, a normal kid just going on a school trip, but also when there are things happening around him that Spider-Man has to take care of and be a part of, he has to spring into action, even though he ends up missing out on a lot of things, which causes him to let down MJ, but it is that struggle and it is there. And he reaches a pretty low moment in Far From Home, but where you really get the best encompassment of what it means to be Spider-Man is in No Way Home. He suffers devastation, he suffers loss, he suffers anger, all these emotions come running through him and it shows him what he needs to do and the life he needs to take on in order to be Spider-Man. So obviously I have a little bias here because Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel character, but I felt like this was one of the best to watch this way because it really gives you the grasp on the character unlike any of the other individual character stories did. So then we get to a point where we only have about two movies on each of the other characters and a few more coming soon. So after Spider-Man, I decided to hop to the Doctor Strange movies, mainly because of how they have a little bit of parallels. So I watched Doctor Strange from 2016, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness in 2022, just because of the connection that that movie has with Spider-Man. No Way Home, I kind of wanted to go ahead and get into the Doctor Strange movies. Those still just aren't my favorite and... I didn't really feel like going from one to two in Doctor Strange that you get a grasp more on his character. He's just still unlikable to me. And after watching Doctor Strange 2, I really don't see where they could take his story in the third one. They'll probably make one down the line. But I feel like his character is good at a two-parter. After that, I moved on to the Black Panther movies, mainly in anticipation to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. So you start with the one from 2017. And I forgot how visually stunning this movie was and how intricate the story is, how emotionally driven it is, how it felt more like a sci-fi movie than it did a superhero movie and really distinguished itself from anything in the MCU. And Killmonger became one of the best villains just right out of the gate. And why? Because he had such a great backstory, which proves that you can give a villain a great backstory in just one movie. And the interesting thing about watching them this way now, going from Black Panther to Wakanda Forever, is obviously the tonal shift. And unlike what any other franchise in the MCU has to deal with, is losing their lead character. So I can only imagine what this would have been like if Chadwick Boseman was still alive in part two, but it goes from this really big, great, inspiring story to pure devastation, starting with mourning, starting with loss, but then also building itself back up to showing people that Wakanda is still a force to be reckoned with. So this gives you a viewing experience unlike anything else in the MCU because of what happened in the real world. So that's why I decided to put these two movies here in the viewing order. It's kind of a palate cleanser. And then I moved on to the Ant-Man movies. So Ant-Man from 2015, Ant-Man and the Wasp from 2018. And I'll leave a placeholder for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania now that it's out in theaters at the time of recording this. Maybe it's on Disney Plus by the time you're listening to this episode. But you'd be able to watch all three of these movies. And looking back at Ant-Man from 2015, that movie had some really great writing 
looking back on it now, I feel it's what people poke fun at for having this superhero style humor. I think Ant-Man was the birth of that, but I think given his character, given Paul Rudd and T.I. and Michael Peña, I think all those actors together really made that movie something special or at least something different that was going on in the MCU. I wish they would have brought them back for the new Ant-Man movie, but obviously I'll talk about that movie later in the review. And then watching Ant-Man and the Wasp, I almost felt like that story wasn't enough to be an entire movie, but it did explain and get into talking about the quantum realm and talk about the tech that ended up being used in Endgame. So it kind of puts that piece together later for you. That's not completely necessary when you watch Endgame. It's kind of like, oh, that's where they got it from. So I think that's why these Ant-Man movies work here. So Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then Quantum Mania, whether you watch it in theaters or later on Disney+. Plus. Then I moved on to the Guardians of the Galaxy movies from 2014, then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 from 2017, and then at the time of recording this, Guardians Volume 3 will be coming out on May 5th, 2023. This is good to put in the viewing order here because Guardians of the Galaxy movies feel a little bit isolated from all the other movies Aside from Thor popping in in these movies, they really are in their own world being out in space. And this is a set of movies given at the time right now. I haven't seen part three yet, but it could be the best trilogy in the entire MCU because one is so strong, two not as good, but still a really strong addition to the franchise. And then three looks like it's gonna take everything on a bigger, more emotional level. I feel like this one, when all is said and done, we'll have the great arc with all of these characters. And that is credit to James Gunn. I felt like he sat down to write these movies and had the entire plan out from the beginning. They don't really connect into all the other MCU movies as much as some of the other titles. So one, two, and three, I feel like will work really well just on their own. And that is what I was trying to figure out while doing this experiment. So on that level, Guardians of the Galaxy movies get a really high score. And that's even without seeing part three yet. And then we start to run out of really good MCU movies. And everything from here on out only has a one-parter as of now, and only one movie will have two parts by the end of this year. So after the Guardians movies, I moved on to Captain Marvel from 2019, mainly because the Marvels is coming out later this year on November 10th, 2023. So I'll be able to judge it a little bit better once I have at least two movies to work with. But re-watching Captain Marvel which I liked at the time when I saw it in theaters. It got a lot of criticism, but I felt like it was a really fun, entertaining movie. I like Brie Larson, but re-watching it, I did feel like that entire story was a little bit rushed. It almost felt like they were trying to get this movie out now just for the sake of having Captain Marvel be established before Endgame came out. And I realized that a little bit more while watching this movie and paying attention to some of the characters, some of the special effects. I felt like if they would have given this movie a little bit more time to breathe, it would have been a much better movie overall. The backstory wasn't as good as I remembered. I found the first 20 minutes of this very slow and kind of boring. So really re-watching this movie, it made me kind of glad that Marvel isn't on that big time crunch to work towards an Avengers movie all the time. I think this movie in particular proves that they need to let their timeline breathe a little bit. So after that, I moved on to Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is a 
really great origin story. It kind of brings you back to some of those original early on MCU origin stories. A really strong and fun movie. It almost embodies everything that I look for in an MCU movie. Fun character, some good jokes, great visuals, and a lot of action. That is what Shang-Chi is. I think it's one of the most underrated Marvel movies out of all 31. After that, I moved on to The Eternals. The only reason I put this one above the last other two is because they may make another one. And out of 31 Marvel movies, this is the only one that I would say is a bad movie. I didn't enjoy this movie whatsoever. It was a movie I went into seeing and was curious about it. It had a great director, a great cast, but it just didn't do it for me. It's the only MCU movie that I've watched that I was just waiting for it to end. And this was the first time I revisited it since watching it in theaters. And I felt the same way. So I put it here in case they make an Eternals 2 and I'll get to see how it goes from 1 to 2. But aside from that, this is not one I was looking forward to getting to during this experiment. So that's where I put the Eternals. After that, I went with the Incredible Hulk from 2008, which I just love the Incredible Hulk. They've just never got his solo movies right. Even though I really enjoy this movie, it's probably one of the MCU movies I've rewatched the most because of how much I love Ed Norton as the Hulk. Of course, now everybody loves Mark Ruffalo a lot more. I just don't think he'll ever get his own solo Hulk movie. We got to see him more in She-Hulk, but I feel like that doesn't really add to the case that people want a solo Hulk movie. But it's such a great dynamic character with such an awesome backstory that that is a shame. So there's only one of them with no hopes of there being a sequel to. So that's why I put it here towards the end. Although I still think it is a great MCU movie. And then at the very end, I watched Black Widow from 2021, which was another movie that I hadn't watched since I've seen it in theaters back in 2021. And I felt really excited going into watching this movie because it was the first Marvel movie I had seen in almost a year and a half because of the pandemic pushing everything back and delaying things that I kind of watched this movie with rose colored glasses I was just happy to get another MCU movie, and I was excited that Scarlett Johansson finally got her solo movie. But this is probably one I would deduct a little bit more from my original rating. But I put it at the end because much like the other ones here at the bottom, there is no promise for a sequel. It was a prequel to begin with. I felt like it came out at a weird time. This one should have came out in phase one or phase two when all the other solo movies of the Avengers were coming out. So I feel like timing wise, it just wasn't the best time for the Black Widow movie. But that is it. That is the viewing order I did by character. I'll run through it again here one more time. At number one is the Avengers. At number two is Age of Ultron. At number three is Infinity War. At number four is Endgame. At number five is Iron Man. Six, Iron Man 2. At seven is Iron Man 3. At eight is Captain America, the first Avenger. At nine is the Winter Soldier. At 10 is Civil War. At number 11, you kick off the Thor movies. So you have Thor. At 12 is The Dark World. At 13 is Ragnarok. At 14 is Love and Thunder. At 15, kicks off the Spider-Man movies with Homecoming. Then at 16, Far From Home. At 17, No Way Home. Then you move on to 18, Doctor Strange. 19, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. 20, Black Panther. 21, Wakanda Forever. 22, Ant-Man, 23, Ant-Man and the Wasp, 24, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which just came out, 
25 Guardians of the Galaxy, 26 Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and then you hold that placeholder for Volume 3, 27 Captain Marvel, 28 Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, 29 Eternals, 30 The Incredible Hulk, and 31 Black Widow. So that is my viewing order. You can check that out in the episode notes of this podcast. I'll come back and give my review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Let's get into a spoiler-free review. I want to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I didn't really have big expectations going into this. It's an Ant-Man movie of all things. I just wanted something to kick off phase five, introduce King the Conqueror, and let me know in what direction that Marvel is planning to go post Endgame. And this movie takes place in 2025. In the movie, Scott Lang refers to the timeline as being a few years after the defeat of Thanos. So he's kind of in this part of his life where he just saved the world, but now he's kind of questioning his worth. He writes a book about everything he's gone through with the Avengers, where he's just trying to build out his relationship with his daughter, earned back some of the time that he missed being away from her. She was a kid, now she's grown up, and then still doing his duties as needed as Ant-Man. So before I get into my full review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, here's just a little bit of the trailer if you haven't heard or seen it by now. You will bring me what I need. Or everything you call life will end. You may not want her to watch this. We had a deal. 
Ik dacht je kunt winnen. I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. So let me start by saying I've always been a fan of the Ant-Man movies. When you compare them to all the other films in the MCU, are they the best? No, but I don't think they ever really have to be. They never really set out to be. What I always liked about the Ant-Man movies is they always had this fresh comedic approach. And in the MCU, I feel like there are all these different characters that all resemble different genres in film. And Ant-Man was always the comedy to me. Maybe it's because it's Paul Rudd and sometimes I associate him with Judd Apatow. It always felt like the Judd Apatow style movie in the MCU. So that is what I looked for going into an Ant-Man movie. I think they nailed it in the first one, maybe went a little bit down in the second one. But this one doesn't really feel like an Ant-Man movie whatsoever. I think the reason behind that is because because this is Marvel kicking off phase five and showing us that there is this tonal shift now in their movies. I think the reason I found it hard to get into this movie and I never really thought it was a bad movie. I just never really thought it was a great movie is because it was so different than every other Ant-Man movie. And for what I know his movies to be, It was almost like his character was a little bit out of place. It was on such a large scale. I know there's going to be a lot of puns to him being a small superhero, but we'll get through those. But it was such a big scale adventure and such a big villain to take on. I found myself saying a lot, could Ant-Man really do this by himself? Is this really an Ant-Man movie? Or is he the only character around now to carry out this story? When you get into more of the plot details, yes, they do work in his character pretty well. But when I go into an MCU movie, I always want to find the continuation of our character's story. And Scott Lang is a very interesting character. He is a reformed criminal, and the thing he's always hold the closest to his heart is his relationship with his daughter, Cassie. Above anything that he does, he always wants to make sure that he's doing right by her and getting to make up the time he's lost with her after being gone for five years in the blip. So that is what I was looking forward to seeing more of in this movie. I think the trailer hinted at it a little bit more, but I felt like it was just lacking something a little bit emotionally for me. And maybe that's also due to the large scale of this movie. There's so much special effects and CGI I wonder if it was just hard for our actors here to interact with one another, interact with some of the other characters, and really give a full fleshed out performance. A lot of this movie was carried by Paul Rudd, but I would say hands down the best performance was Jonathan Majors as Kang. This movie really should have just been called Kang the Conqueror. That's what this movie should have been. And they couldn't have made that movie because people would have been less interested in seeing it. It wouldn't have done what it did at the box office this weekend. But if it would have just been called Kane the Conqueror, this would have served so much better as a villain origin story because that is really what this movie ended up being. It is what I enjoyed the most about this movie. Jonathan Majors gave the best performance. I love just the cadence and the way that he spoke. And there were times in this movie where it got very quiet and the movie had some time to breathe, which I've never really seen in a Marvel movie. It was really committed to fleshing out this villain and making him seem very dark 
and mysterious and the tension just kind of grow and him getting a little bit more evil and evil as it went along. So shout out to Peyton Reed, who directed not only this movie, but the other two Ant-Man movies to really show a different side of Ant-Man and make this one be completely different than the other two. I just don't know if I fully bought into it because like I said, it's not that this is a bad movie whatsoever. There's just kind of a oomph lacking while you watch this movie. And I didn't find myself as fully engaged as I normally am in an MCU movie. And I would hate to say it's because Ant-Man isn't that great of a character. I kind of relate to Ant-Man in a way that you have all these other big superheroes that people love and want to see more movies of. Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man. And Ant-Man is just kind of seen as like, the laughing stock and there's even a lot of references throughout this movie of him just not being known by people he goes to the coffee shop and they think he's spider-man i get that sometimes when i go out in public and people will recognize me from the bobby bone show but they don't entirely know my name they just kind of know my face and they're like are you raymundo are you eddie so i did like the message this movie had of rooting for the little guy so aside from paul rudd aside from jonathan majors there weren't any other real standout performances. I love Evangeline Lilly, but she didn't really add much as the Wasp. Michelle Pfeiffer is a national treasure, hands down the best Catwoman ever. But I found her character a little bit off-putting in this movie. And Michael Douglas is okay. I've just never been the biggest fan of him in the MCU. So I do like the ambition and the scale that this movie took on. It almost felt a little bit Star Wars-like at times. I'm going to make a reference here, and I'm not saying in any way this movie is like the best Star Wars movie of all time, but there are some similarities in the beginning of this movie and in A Star Wars A New Hope. You're kind of thrown in this entirely new world. You have all these weird characters and creatures speaking this weird language. They go to a bar. So I really like the vibe of the movie in the first 20 minutes, you were really just thrown into this entire new world. You didn't really ask questions. Everything just kind of existed in the quantum realm. So that part I really did enjoy. I wish it would have kept that same energy and style throughout the entire movie. But with this movie being the first movie in phase five, I feel like they got the character wrong. And I think Ant-Man would have been better in phase four. And you take the energy of this movie and put it into the Thor character. So eliminate Thor, Love and Thunder and put Ant-Man there and make it a comedy like the other two. And then take Thor and put him in this movie with Kang the Conqueror. And I think we would have had a much better movie and a much better kickoff to the MCU Phase 5. Because as much as I loved comedic Thor in Ragnarok. I think Thor at his best is when he is angry, when he is pissed off, when he wants to defeat a big villain. Him dropping in and saying, bring me Thanos, like that is the Thor that I like. And we lost that after Endgame. And then instead in Thor Love and Thunder, we get this really goofy, jolly Thor in a romantic comedy. But if we put him in this same situation of having to take on King the Conqueror, I feel like that fight would have been a lot more epic. And even the similarities in the villains between those two movies, I think Kang the Conqueror is what I thought Gore the God Butcher was going to be in Thor Love and Thunder. And I don't really think yet that Kang is that Thanos level of villain. I don't think he has to be that right now which is what everybody is always going to compare the new villain to. But he has so much great potential, and this was a very good origin story for him. Above everything else in this movie, I love the establishment of the character. But there was nothing that really stood out about this movie. So I think on its own, probably a 2.5 
but I love King the Conqueror so much that I'm going to bump it up to about a 3.5 out of 5. Just that character alone, I think, is what the MCU needs right now. And even though it's not the best MCU movie of all time, it's not top 10, probably not even top 20, I think it did exactly what it needed to do. Be a pretty good mid-MCU movie, do well at the box office, not really make MCU fans mad, and instead really give us a look at the direction that they are going in and set that tone. I think that was important for this movie. So even though it wasn't my favorite, I didn't leave the theater completely excited, ready for the next one. Even the end credit scenes were all right. So I say go into it with a little bit lower expectations and you'll still have a good time at the movies. I give Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania a 3.5 out of 5 Quantum Realms. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. Well, it looks like we are actually going to get this movie. The Flash comes out on June 16th, 2023. And I got to say, this trailer looks super, super slick. The Flash suit looks amazing. All the Batman running around. Of all the DC movies coming out this year, I thought this one had the most potential. But I'm still hesitant towards anything DC right now. And... I felt like this was a movie they were putting out because they had already spent all the money on it. They had all the issues with Ezra Miller in the last couple years, all the things that they have been through. So the entire future of The Flash, I always felt, has been hanging in the balance. 
And even with James Gunn hyping this movie up, saying it's one of the best superhero films he has seen ever, I was like, I'm not really buying into that hype yet. But after watching this trailer, they have my curiosity. I'm not going to say it. I won't say it again. I've been burned by Black Adam. I'm not saying I'm excited. I'm not. I'm not excited. Nope. I am not. But before I get into more of my thoughts, here's just a little bit of the trailer. Bruce, I could fix things. You could also destroy everything. This can't be happening. I completely broke the universe. Sad. We've been waiting for you. I created a world with no metahumans. And now there's no one to defend us. Want some help? You're... You are... Yeah. I'm Batman. It's that line right there that got me so... I'm not going to say it. But before we get into talking about that, let's talk about The Flash. I always thought he was the best part of the Justice League and the chaoticness and all the mess that that movie was. The introduction of his character was great. The Flash is fresh and fun. He is kind of like the Spider-Man of the DC universe as far as the movies and the embodiment of the character being the younger one, everything being new and fun to them, looking up to the other superheroes. That is what Barry is in the Justice League and now in the Flash solo film. Barry Allen is trying to change the past in order to save his mom from dying. And in doing so, he's messing with timelines. So it's kind of like DC getting into the whole multiverse space, which you find that is really appeasing to comic book and superhero movie fans because you can reintroduce characters from other timelines. It gets people hype. It gets people excited. So I feel like that is them trying to cash in on what is working so well right now over in Marvel. But in doing all these things of changing the past, you change the future. So in this movie, you find not only multiple Batman, you also find multiple Flashes. There's Supergirl in this movie and maybe even some more surprises that they aren't saying yet, which I would find really surprising for DC to keep anything under wraps because I think if they have any kind of star power, they're letting everybody know, just like they did with Black Adam. And they quickly let people know that Henry Cavill was back as Superman. They really spoiled the ending to that pretty quick. And there are some glimpses in this trailer of a Dark Knight-looking Batman motorcycle, you know, the one with the big wheel. It looks like it's still Ben Affleck's Batman driving it, but I just had a little glimpse of a Christian Bale Dark Knight-era Batman. I don't think they would do that. I don't think they would keep that under wraps. But if they did bring that moment to life on screen, didn't spoil that, and that was a surprise, I think that would be a pretty big win, especially after taking away Henry Cavill as Superman. And maybe that is what James Gunn is hinting at as it being one of the best superhero movies of all time. Like that is a big claim to make. I feel like there has to be something really big in this movie to earn that statement. But you do have Michael Keaton finally returning as Batman. There's been so much talk about this surrounding, you know, the Batgirl movie. But now we get the first glimpse of him in this trailer. And I've always said, that Michael Keaton is my favorite Batman because I think he embodies the character to its fullest. Whether he's in the Batman iconic suit with the yellow logo, Michael Keaton as Batman were one of the first real superhero movies that I remember watching. So I think between him as Batman, but also him as Bruce Wayne altogether, I just think he fully embodies what it means to be Batman. 
And I love Christian Bale's Batman in action, but when it comes to his Bruce Wayne, I'm not entirely in love with it. I don't feel like his performance there is what made those movies great. And as much as I love Robert Pattinson's take being so different, he's a recluse, he's weird, he's a great detective, and he is not a playboy whatsoever like all the other Bruce Waynes have been, I just feel like he's a little bit more of an alternative Batman, which I really enjoy. But when you talk about who is the best Batman of all time, I'm going to say Michael Keaton 10 out of 10 times. And then you also have Ben Affleck returning as Batman. And I think he gets a little bit more hate than he deserves as Batman. I think he's a fine Batman, a good Batman even. I like him as Bruce Wayne with the little hints of gray in his hair. I like the big bulky Batman, very comic book style looking. So I've always been a big fan of his suits. I just think when it comes to him having a chance to give a great performance, have a really great script to work with, none of the movies have really done that for him. So we all just kind of see and associate with him being a bad Batman. I don't think that's the case. I just think he hasn't had the tee up to really give a great performance as Batman. Maybe this movie could be it for him. I also love the scene with Supergirl in this trailer. So this movie has a lot of things going for it. I think the big part is bringing Michael Keaton back because that will get some old school Batman fans back interested in wanting to see this movie. I think that'll have a big impact when it comes to the box office numbers in this movie, banking on that nostalgia. And that is the moment everybody was talking about online once this trailer dropped. So this movie does have a lot of promise and I am excited. Nope. Uh, I am excited. I am excited. I'm really looking forward forward to seeing this movie in theaters again it comes out on june 16th 2023 and that was this week's edition of movie minds trailer park and that's gonna do it for another episode here of the podcast but before i go i gotta give my listener shout out of the week how do you do that all you have to do is send me an email moviemikeD at gmail.com. Tweet me, tag me in your Instagram story. But today's shout out comes from my Instagram and the comments on my review of you people. So this week's listener of the week is Find Your Sales, aka Alyssa on Instagram, who commented and said, couldn't agree more. I'm not fully convinced that the writers wanted the audience to focus on the love story as much as the dynamic between the parents, how it affected the couple's relationship. But building out that the love story and making sure they had chemistry was a vital part that was missing for a lot of us so a lot of people had a lot of things to say about you people and why they didn't enjoy that movie and this is the part i really enjoy about doing this podcast is also seeing what you thought about movies letting me know if i was completely off but i feel like we all felt collectively about the same about you people so shout out to Alyssa and everybody who commented on that video you can always check out clips of the show on my instagram and tiktok at mike distro or watch full movie reviews on my youtube channel youtube.com slash Mike Distro. And until next time, go out and watch good movies and I will talk to you later. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursion? Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. 
NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.